Last night when we started church, someone told me it was 110 degrees outside and we had no air conditioning. So it was, it was cool. Everybody, they're just an amazing group of people Saturday nighters are. And they were fanning themselves and brushing their hair back and all of that. And I, uh, I made a promise to them that I would cut it down and we'd, uh, we wouldn't be too long. And I'm going to make the same promise to you. I'm not going to compromise the word. Just won't do that. Uh, but I will kind of condense it so that we kind of grasp what our Lord is saying. Um, this particular place in Scripture is um, a heart-breaking place for me. And I think I'm finding out a little bit about myself when I say that, insofar as I, it seems to me I pull for the underdog. I tell you that I uh, try to follow uh, what's going on in our society, to kind of keep up with what is going on so that it keeps me fresh as far as preaching goes. And I probably, along with you, have followed this whole incident of this, this uh, lady who is a, a model and her husband has this affair with these young girls. And uh, I find myself, when I watch this, just heartbroken. I mean, utterly heartbroken. The only one I don't like in this whole scenario is him. Now, I hope I don't have all the information wrong, but I think this guy is a scoundrel. I don't know him. I don't mean any disrespect, but gosh, I can't understand but nonetheless, I find myself just, uh, just pouring my heart out to this, this woman who was married and with the two kids and then especially this young girl because uh, um, it just the things that they're saying about her, uh, I go to if I were a father, if I were her dad. You see, one of the things that, that I have in my life is that I'm, I'm older, but I'm not so old. At least I feel young at heart. I'm not so old that I don't remember when, before I was a believer. And I see things that go out in the world and I think of, for the grace of God. Hi, Deb. How you feeling? Feeling good? Love you, Debbie. I think for the grace of God, there would go me. God's grace moved me from a lifestyle that was not so good. And... Uh, and so when I see things like that, and it just moves my very soul. It moves me. Consequently, where we are in Acts chapter 5, <clears throat> when I read of Ananias and Sapphira, my heart just goes out to them. Um, what they did could have been done by anyone. Any single one of us. What what we ought to do from this place in Scripture is learn. If you recall, I think I said it last week in this service, if not, I said that when, when I was a young man playing balls, I guess what I dreamt about doing one day when I, was, when I got old enough was, if nothing else, I wasn't a believer, is to be a manager. Um, and I said last week that I learned as much from the wonderful managers I had as well as from some of the managers that were not so good. And I think, true to Scripture, you and I can learn so much from the life of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that we are to be conformed into His image. We're to emulate our lives after Him. But we can also learn from people like Ananias and Sapphira. We can learn a very tough lesson that they went through. And hopefully, we don't need to go through it. So let's, let me get up here, and would you turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 5 and read with me uh, a very amazing place in Scripture. 
Let me get myself together. Now, my vow to you is that I'm going to try and cut about 10 to 15 minutes off of this so so we can uh, not get too hot in here. Acts chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. It says, A certain man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for themselves. With his wife's full knowledge and bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? Verse 4, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it still not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men arose and covered him up. And after carrying him out, they buried him. Now there elapsed an interval of about three hours. And his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter responded to her and said, Tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, Yes, that was the price. And Peter said to her, Why is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they shall carry you out as well. Verse 10, And she fell immediately at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And verse 11 tells us, A great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Let's pray. Dear Father, um, we read these words and we, uh, we sit back in amazement. There's so much to learn from the, um, from the things that Ananias and Sapphira did. There's so much to learn in this place, Father, from a couple of people who just went astray. They conceived in their heart something that absolutely was not necessary. Absolutely was not. And so, Father, what I'm asking today is that you would lead us, of course, that you would open up our eyes and our hearts and our minds so that we might behold wonderful things from your law, that you might, Father, put into our hearts an understanding of what did Ananias and Sapphira do that was so critically wrong and how could they have not have done it so that in case any of us are doing anything even remotely close to, to what they are doing, that we would stop. Stop dead in our tracks. Ask for your forgiveness. Repent. And do this no longer. Now, Father, would you please hide the one that gives the message. Hide me behind the glories of your word. As we study, Father, the difficulties of a church as well as the blessings. Would you please, Father, bless us. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. There is a verse that I asked us to learn as a group of people quite a while ago. Um, Actually, the verse is in 1 Peter. It's the 5th chapter. It's the 6th and 7th verse. It says, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and He will exalt you at the proper time. The whole issue of this place in Scripture 
is the fact that Ananias and Sapphira tried to manipulate God so that he might look, no, so that they might look like they were extraordinary, extra spiritual people within the congregation. And the Bible teaches you and me clearly, we don't need to do that. God desires to bless us beyond our wildest dreams. All he asks of us is to be obedient to him, to humble ourselves under his mighty hand. So that if there need be, if there is going to be, if there are any blessings in your life and in my life, they will come about at God's proper time for us. Ananias and Sapphira didn't understand that. The beauty of the early church was there was a unity and a, a, a selflessness amongst those in the congregation. As we learned last week in chapter 4 and verse 32, they were of one heart and they were of one soul. In other words, when anyone had need, they were, there was a common bond against the group. And, and this was a very unique time because, as we mentioned last week, most of the people that, that came to Christ and formulated this first church were coming from the Jewish faith. And so we learned a long time ago in John that, that no one was to, to, to um, proclaim, uh, to exalt the name of Jesus Christ. If they did, uh, they were tossed out of the synagogue. And oftentimes their family would say they were like dead to it. And so all of a sudden, there's these people in this church. So many of them are in no man's land. They're, they're no longer Jew, but they're not Gentiles. How do they make their living? And so there was a, a commonness amongst the believers. When someone was in need, they would, they would sell what they had and they would help one another. But all of this became marred by the sin of deceit and self-glory that fell into the hearts and the minds of Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira became to the book of Acts, if you studied your Bible at all, there's a parallel that happened in the life of a man by the name of Achan, A-C-H-A-N. It's out of the book of Joshua, seventh chapter. Joshua sensed that there was something wrong within the, the midst of the nation of Israel. And he started searching out what was wrong. And he came to the camp, the campsite of, of Achan. And Joshua said to Achan, tell us, Achan, what have you done wrong? Give God the glory. And Achan confessed that he had stolen some bounty from some uh, some people that they had uh, uh, defeated in war that they were not supposed to do and he kept it for himself. He buried it near his home so that he could have it sometime. And, and when he confessed that, giving God the glory, they took Achan outside of the campgrounds and they immediately stoned him to death to get the sin out of the camp. Both the incidents of Achan and of Sapphira and um, Ananias became sin in the camp, so to speak. They caused an interruption of God's victorious progress within, in this case, the church. 
The church is just hitting on every cylinder up to this point. And all of a sudden, sin came amongst the people. I prayed over and over again um, that you and I, none of us would be a hindrance to God's work within His church. You know what's happened? I think this is just my opinion with speaking with you as a friend. You know what's, what's happened, I think, within the church today? I think within the church today, we've lost that wonderful fear of God, the reverence of God. In, in the first service, I mentioned that, and all of a sudden it went... And it was like, it was like whoa, how perfect was that time? And, and they told me there was an earthquake. I didn't feel it. That, that's what somebody said, there was an earthquake during the, the first service. But it was interesting that we were talking about the majesty of our God. And churches today have, have become so politically correct in this society in which we live that, that, that they've become, we've lost, our, we've lost our thrust within our own selves as Christians. There's no real strong, wonderful reverence and fear of God. Churches have become country clubs, for lack of a better word, to entertain more the the people rather than to do what God's called us to do. And it's, it's, it's clear what God's called us to do. We're to gather together to encourage one another. We're to gather together to equip one another. We're to gather together to study the apostles teaching the Word of God so that we can go out in the society in which we live, whether it be in our own homes or in our own neighborhood or, or where we work or where we play, and we become that voice of God out there in the community. And you and I cannot be that voice of God if we don't understand what was, was written in these words. Here in this Bible, we've got to be equipped. And churches have become so... Um, desirous to be accepted that, that they make themselves like the world rather than expecting the world to make themselves like we are here within these four walls. We're not going to do that here. We're going to have a very deep, respectful fear of God. And so I want you to see this story. This is a, this is a place in Scripture that a lot of pastors won't even... They'll just go over it. Because it is quite negative. But the truth of the matter is the church has always attracted people with impure motives. Those who wish to profit financially from religion. Those who have a, a power con, and control issue that want to control. And so they work themselves up into the, the, the inner workings of the church so that they can kind of have a say-so of what, what's going on. Those who are self-centered, who, who want to be, to get, 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 instead of get to the place where we become mature enough so that we give as much as we get. Also people who are glory seekers, people who want to be noticed and affirmed for their quote-unquote holy acts. And that is what has taken place in the life of Ananias and Sapphira. Their scheme was at best dishonest. God's judgment was quick. You see, Ananias and Sapphira concocted a plan to give a little bit to God, but to get credit for a lot. 
as you ponder this story, as we go through that this morning, thinking about what happened in their lives, you need to ask yourself, as I've asked myself, what are my motives for being in church? What are our motives for serving God? What is the reason that we give financially to continue the work of God within this church, within this community in which we live? Or maybe ask the question, do I serve at all? Do I give at all? And why ought I serve and why ought I give financially? As we saw last week in chapter 4, verses 36 and 37, Barnabas, who is going to become quite famous as we go through this book of Acts, his name is, nickname he would have is Son of Encouragement. It appears to me that everywhere Barnabas went, you felt better about yourself. He just had that way with people. He was well, well liked. And Barnabas, as we learned last week, gave some money. doesn't say how much. The idea is he gave quite a bit, but that's not an issue, by the way. And he gave this money, and as we learned last week, those who gave, whether it be the, within the congregation or for whatever reason that Barnabas was pointed out, they gave what they gave, and they laid it at the apostles' feet. And that meant they had no motive, they had no agenda they weren't there to say, okay, I'm giving this amount, but this is what I want you to do with it. This is how I want you to spend the money that I'm giving to you. No, they, they laid their offering before the Lord at the apostles' feet. And it is apparent that everybody took note of his generosity. It, was, it must have spread throughout the community. And so what it appears is Ananias and Sapphira wanted that same recognition that Barnabas got. Because, if you look at verses 1 and 2, they copied him almost to a T. But in verse 3, Peter, being led by God so mightily, aware of what they had hidden in their heart. Look what he says in verse 3. Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? In Psalms, Chapter 44, verse 21. You really don't need to turn to it right now because I'm going to kind of hit these verses and go, but make a note of them. Look at it later and you might want to underline them. In Psalms 44, 21, it says, Would not God find out, for He knows the secrets of our hearts? With that statement, with that one single verse, you and I need to beware. We need to beware of what we do and for what reason do we do what we do unto the Lord. What is our motive? And we need to understand that we might be fooling you. We might be fooling one another here within this congregation. But we're not fooling God. He knows the secrets of our hearts. I told you this before. There was a, there was a person that I had tremendous problems with. I, I felt like he, he did very unkind things to myself and my wife. And I was, I was dead set on asking for forgiveness about the way I felt about him and everything. And I used to pray for him. I, in fact, the way I went home, there was a certain way I went home. And I, I, it seemed like every time I hit the street, I'd think about this guy. And I would pray, God, bless him. But I realized in praying that what I really wanted was him to die in a pile. 
I wanted him to die. And so instead of being naive and saying, bless him, bless him, bless him, and God knows that I'm saying, kill him, kill him, kill him. (laughs) I said to the Lord, you know my heart. This is a hard prayer, Father. I don't like this person. Give me whatever it is you want to give me towards this person. It took me three years. I felt like I was going insane. Somewhere in that process, I don't remember the day. I don't remember the time. But all of a sudden, I was driving down that road and I thought to myself, wow, it's been a long time since I've prayed for this person again. And there was no ill feeling in my heart. And I prayed, and Lord, bless them. And I meant it. God will change your heart. But for the sake of God Almighty, don't play tricks with Him. Let Him know the very deepness of your heart. He knows it anyways. And so Peter says, God knows the secrets of your heart. In verses 3 and 4, just to, just to mention it, there are people who say that, that the Holy Spirit is not God. You know, Jesus Christ says, I am God, the Father is God, but the Holy Spirit also is God. Peter says in verse 3 to Ananias, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Then he says in verse 4, Ananias, you've not lied to man. You've lied to God, calling the Holy Spirit God. Now, as, you, as we reported last week in verse 4, giving was not mandatory. They didn't have to sell anything they owned. You need to be clear on this. I want to make sure you understand. The problem with Ananias and Sapphira is not that they didn't give everything. The problem is that they lied about what they gave. Peter already said to them in verse 4, you didn't have to give. When you had the property, wasn't it your own? The answer is yes, it was. And when you sold the property, was it still not your own? Yes, it was. It wasn't his obligation to give everything. What it was, though, his obligation was whatever he did give was to be honest about it. To not try to make himself look like something he was not. You see, the tragedy of sin is this. It's normally completely unnecessary. The property, the money, the question to give or not to give... That was up to them. It was completely optional what they did. Nobody had to give. You and I do not have to give unto the Lord. I'm going to try and tell you today, I'm going to try and teach you today why you ought to give. But you don't have to give. And let no one coerce you into giving. As a matter of fact, please, let's take a look. 2 Corinthians, turn there please with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. You see... When it comes to giving unto the Lord, you and I will never, ever, 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 never be able to outgive Him. Paul teaches that God loves a cheerful giver. Paul teaches that God loves one who gives willingly from their own heart. But Paul also teaches that to give, we shall also receive. God will take care of us. Humble yourselves under His mighty hand. He will exalt you at the proper time. 
When I learned the lesson of giving, I said to you this last week, and I'll say it again, I learned it not from Scripture. I learned it from my wife. My wife gives. We, I'm not even going to tell you why we tithe, because that's, that's between us and the Lord. But we tithe. We give. But when we first started giving, when we first got married, and Kay started just giving money away, I said, whoa, wait, wait, time out here. Let's save something for a rainy day. Well, you know, we're going to have kids eventually, and, 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 and they're going to need dental care. They're going to need hospital care. Let's save. And she said, no, let's give. Well, we had kids. Two wonderful kids. I do not remember either one of our kids ever having a cavity. I, I don't remember it. I asked Kay. She was in the first service. She said, no, they didn't. We ate junk just like anyone else. <laughs> I don't ever remember our kids having to go to the hospital. Well, Cassie once. We, it was we, we, she was playing in a tennis tournament. She was eight years old. Eight years old. You got you, you should have seen this picture. She's eight years old, and she's really kind of excited and really ready to go. She was a competitor from the very get go, and man, we were playing this tournament. And she's bouncing around, and she fell uh, out of the, the, the bleachers, you know, and she hurt her arm. And I grabbed her and I said, you got to be tough. She was crying. I said, you got to be tough. you got a tournament to play. I know it hurts. Play through it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I was, I was head coach, you know. Kay said to me, when's the last time we saw Cassie cry when she was hurt real badly? She's tough. She doesn't usually cry. I think something's wrong. I said, ah, she's scared to play in the tournament. So I'm taking her to the hospital. Ah, she broke her arm, <laughs> came back with a cast. <laughs> I felt this big. But hardly, hardly anything happened. God just kind of cared for us. And I, to this day, believe it's because my wife taught me the principle of giving. I can tell you today, I would be afraid not to give unto the Lord. Look at, look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul says, I say this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Let me give it to you in the vernacular of our language today. Give a little, get a little. Give a lot, get a lot. Look what he says in verse 7. Each one must do as they have purposed in their heart, not grudgingly nor under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Let me break it down for us. If you can, with a very wonderful, cheerful heart, give five cents to the Lord, but to give another penny makes you a little ticked off, don't give that other penny. Give the amount that you can give cheerfully unto the Lord. And don't let anyone, God forbid me, try to coerce you into giving or doing more than you can do cheerfully. But what I want to try to teach you is the more that you understand the principle of giving and serving, the more you will understand the principle of how much God wants to bless you. Look what he says. The next verse, verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that 
you will always have sufficiency in everything. You may have an abundance for every good deed. Folks, that's the truth of Scripture. That's what I want to teach you from the bottom of my heart. When you come here and when I come here on a Sunday morning or Saturday night, I come with an agenda. And my agenda is to teach the Word of God so that it might move you and me into a different level in our walk with Christ. So we become more the people of God that God desires us to be. And you'll never, and I'll never, we'll never be able to get that apart from studying and understanding the Word of God and believing in it. It won't come by me be, just be a, a fancy speaker and, uh, and telling you uh, fancy tales. The Bible says that it is this, the Word of God, that will not come back void. It will accomplish what God has set it out to do, not your fancy preacher's stories or anything like that. It is the Word of God that will minister into your life and my life. And so I'm, I'm here to say to you this. Hopefully you understand. But what I'm saying to you is that if Ananias and Sapphira understood that they didn't have to give, uh, pretend to give, they didn't have to try to fake out the, the Lord and the people, he would have blessed them beyond their wildest dreams if they just trusted in him. You see, their sin, as we move back to, to Acts, their sin was... Pride and, and lying, that's true, no, no question. What they did was they pretended to give all of their profits of the sale of the property to God, but they weren't going to give it all. They wanted it to look like they did so that they looked like they were super spiritual saints. The most devastating sin that took place in the life of Ananias and Sapphira market is this. They were hypocrites. And look at Matthew chapter 6 with me, please. The Sermon on the Mount. Jesus Christ does a whole section about being hypocrites and, and, and for us not to be hypocritical in what we do unto the Lord. In Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse 1, Jesus Christ teaches and draws a, a sharp rebuke upon those who are hypocrites. Hypocrites in giving Hypocrites in praying, hypocrites in fasting. Look at Matthew chapter, chapter 6, verse 1. This is the wonderful Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, beware. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. When, therefore, you give alms... Don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your alms may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will repay you. Now he talks about praying. In verse 5, when you pray, you're not to be as the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners in order to be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, you go into your inner room. 
And when you've shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. They suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, don't be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you even ask of Him. I love that place in Scripture. Then He teaches them how to pray, and then He goes to verse 16. Look at verse 16. And when you fast, don't put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do. They neglect their appearance in order to be seen fasting by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. You see, over and over again, he says in all three incidents, he says, you want your, you want your reward from mankind? Well, you'll get it. But that's your reward. And folks, you and I are not to live our lives for this world. We're not to live our lives so as to so as to get praise from mankind, you and I are to live so that God would be well pleased with you and me. He's going to teach that in a second. Jesus says, look, he says, verse 16, let me read it again. Whenever you fast, don't put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do. They neglect their appearance in order to be seen fasting by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head. Wash your face so that you may not be seen fasting by men, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will repay you. Verses 19, 20, and 21. Take a close look. Here's what he says. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on this earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Rather, he says in verse 20, Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. Because, he says, where your treasure is, there will be what? Your heart. You see, the problem with Ananias and Sapphira was they were hypocrites. They didn't have to give a penny. And if they did give, they only should have given to the point where they could cheerfully give. But what they should have understood was that they couldn't outgive God. He would have blessed them beyond their wildest dreams if they just trusted in Him. But they were hypocrites. They wanted the praise of mankind. And He says, you get your reward in full. They'll praise you, but not me. And you and I ought to live our lives so that He might say to us, by the grace of God Almighty, He might say to you and me one day, Well done, my good and faithful servant. To further the depth of our Lord's hatred for hypocrisy, on your way back to Acts, stop at Matthew chapter 24 and read verse 51 with me. Jesus warns that hell is going to be populated with hypocrites. He tells this parable in Matthew 24, and when we get to the 51st verse, you can read the parable later, but he says, assign him, verse 51, assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place, he says, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's hell itself. Now, back to Acts chapter 5. Some have questioned whether Ananias and Sapphira were believers at all. I, I contend you that they were. they were. They were believers who just got caught up in their own carnal flesh. 
The reason I believe they're believers is because in Acts chapter 4, verse 32, they are numbered amongst the congregation, which says the congregation of those who believe. They were believers. So Peter asks these two people, why is it, verse 4, look, why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? Now, although they were tempted by Satan to do what they did, the responsibility for their sin rested upon their own shoulders, within their own heart. They had the freedom to do what they wanted with that money. Whether to sell it or not, that was theirs. But what they did was they chose to be deceitful. They wanted to be acknowledged like Barnabas was acknowledged. And their sin, as we've already noted, originated from their own selfish hypocrisy. So therefore, Peter does not place the blame on Satan for what they've done wrong. He places the blame right upon their own shoulders. He said, you have conceived this deed in your own heart. Now in verses 5 to 10, we'll brush over because the only real thing to note is how swiftly punishment fell upon them. The reason being is that this. The church has just started. There is nothing more precious on this earth to our Lord than the church. There are only two institutions that God has blessed. Do you know what they are? The church and your marriage, if you're married. God has placed a blessing and an ordination upon those two institutions, church and marriage. He says, take care of my church. Take care, husbands, of your wives. Wives, take care of your husbands. But in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27, we are told that Jesus one day wants to present to himself, this is Ephesians 5, 27, he wants to present to himself the church in all of her glory, having no spot, nor wrinkle, nor any such thing, but that she, the church, would be holy and blameless. And so as this church started up, in this first initial sin that came upon the congregation, the Lord wanted to stop that dead in its track. Because he didn't want the church to go off in a wrong direction. But, as we're going to see, it does. Because we are all human beings. All capable of sinning. But this is, this is a, a, an attempt of our Lord to stop immediately sin within the ranks. Now, the only benefit that came from this death was that the whole community, the whole congregation, either heard of it or saw it. Look what it says in verse 11. A great fear came over the whole church and over everyone, all who have heard these things. You see, there is a benefit for church discipline, and that is that it deters others from sinning. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 20, it says, Those who continue in sin... Rebuke them in the presence of all. In, the, in other words, in the presence of the congregation. So that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. No doubt this time in the life of Peter impacted him greatly. I agree with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. I think when Ananias fell dead, that Peter was just as shocked as anyone there. I don't think Peter saw that coming. 
The Lord did that to Ananias. The Lord did that to Sapphira. And then in his later years, Peter writes these words in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17. He says, It is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And he says, If it begins with us first, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? What Peter is saying, basically, folks, is what I try to emphasize to all of us here at this congregation. And that is the church that he has entrusted us with. The church that he has so blessed us with. We ought to care for it. We cannot, we cannot, we cannot be flippant about what happens within these four walls. We have to have a healthy, very wonderful fear of our God. We've got to have a respect for him so that we do not come here and play church. We are not here as a country club to entertain our children or to entertain our youth or to entertain you or me with some wonderful, you know, just, you know, boom, music and boom, everything. No, we're here to learn the Word of God. That's our purpose for church. And if we do that, we will honor God because God set a standard for church when He called the apostles aside and said, these are my orders. Here's how you establish a church. He says, I want everyone, everyone to be continually devoted. Acts 2.42 Continually devoted to the things of God. What are they? The apostles' teaching. Fellowship with one another. In other words, encouraging each other. Communion, so that if we have something against someone within the congregation or someone within our lives, we can, we can deal with it by remembering what God did for us, how He forgave us, and how He loves us so much, and so we ought to forgive others. And then to pray. Pray for one another. That's church. And so we will, here at the Rock Community Church, we will establish ourselves as a church the best we know how. And we will have a wonderful, healthy Fear, respect, love of our God. And so I say this to you this morning. If, if, if any of you have got something in your heart that, that's, that's devious, that, that you think you're hiding from us, you might be. You might be. And you'll get your reward. We'll say, nice going. But in the end result, you won't get your reward from the very place that you, only place that you really need it. And that's from heaven itself. Humble yourselves, please, under the mighty hand of God so that He'll exalt you at the proper time. Ten minutes early. Father, thank You for this time. Thank You so much for everyone here. Bless them, please. And thank You for the, a display uh, somewhat, Father, uh, just a little. It's just like a little wiggle of Your finger. Uh, just a display of Your power. And Father, may we as a body of believers just relish in the fact that we know and we are in love with the very one who has created all things, the very one that we have every right to be fearful of, so to speak, or really to reverence and to love and to respect. Thank you, Father, for everybody here. Bless them, please, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I love you all so much. Have a great, great day. Thanks. Thank you.